Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Catherine Goble-Moore, a retired public school educator and guidance counselor in New Jersey. Catherine is the daughter of the famous Catherine Johnson, NASA mathematician, and known as the lead in the movie Hidden Figures. Catherine Johnson died February 24, 2020, but was very active until the time of her passing. In the year prior to her death, she and her daughters, including Joylette Gobelheilich, collaborated on a book for children, which, of course, adults will love as well. It came out early this year, and this month and this weekend are a great time to have a conversation about One Step Further, My Story of Math, The Moon, and a Lifelong Mission. Catherine Moore, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you with us to welcome you this morning. Well, thank you for having us. I am just so amazed and enthralled with your mother, and I'm sure being her daughter and your sister, Joylette, uh, both of you uh, having a, a grown up with Katherine Johnson, who we recognize as one of the key figures uh, in the movie Hidden Figures, and of course she's written about this as well, but you uh, had collaborated on this newest book, One Step Further, uh, which is for a little younger audience, correct? Well, when they came to us, she said, but they want to write a book? Yes. If you think it will help children want to learn, okay. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she just sounds like that unassuming, very humble, uh, gracious, and kind woman. You you pegged her. That's pretty much who Mom was. Um, she's, in retrospect, the perfect mom for me anyway. We had um, a wonderful life in spite of all the ups and downs and losing our dad and, you know, the, the bad things that happened to good people, but it, she made it so that it didn't knock us totally off our feet. She said, you get up and you put one foot in front of the other. So I have smiled through most of our life together, yes. Oh, and you know, that is uh, almost beyond comprehension because, of course, life had to be difficult growing up as a, a black child uh, in the 50s and the 60s down in the in the south, the southeast. Uh, not to say what your mother experienced growing up, uh, you know, in the 20s and the 30s. And yet in she West had, Virginia. right, and, and have a such a kind and loving heart in the midst of all that. That was the gift, I guess, that they gave us from my grandparents to my parents, that you didn't have a lot of choices, but you choose how you deal with it. And life comes at you, you either deal with it or you don't. And they chose to deal with it in a positive way. You will be educated. You will do your best. You will have family and friends along the way and treat them the way you want to be treated. And 
that in the most dire of times or some of the most dire times, yet she was able at that time to go on to university and excel and and really excel in this incredible field uh, of mathematics in the sciences. Yes, and we think that was because uh, we said her steps were ordered. They put her in the right place. She had the right dad who thought the girls were as smart as the boys. They didn't try to stop her from going out there trying to learn because she asked questions about everything she said. And to be a 10-year-old in a school setting with older kids and not being intimidated, I think, was the beginning. She was always the smallest and the youngest, but she they didn't treat her differently. They were just amazed that she was there. And look, half the time she was tutoring them but she didn't make it a big deal, and they didn't make it a big deal. So that was ordained. Then she had the right professors who said, you would make a good mathematician, a good research mathematician. Well, what is that, she asked. <laughs> and he said, well, I think that's for you to find out. And she said, and I did. Right. Then to get to Virginia the way we did on vacation, again, ordered steps. And to be able to excel in a field with white men, engineers at that, and not be intimidated and all, it just meant that she was, she was confident. She had been prepared by the best because she said she had several of the PhDs in math, and he was the first, uh, Dr. Shefflin Clayton was the first to get his Ph.D. in days when they did not even want you there. So I think she took lemons and made the lemonade, as they say. She was able to move ahead in a positive way, which then modeled for us positivity and, and just made us want to do well. Joilette became the mathematician. And though I loved math and was good at math, I wanted to work with the kids. So we, I said to Joel that it took all three of us combined to make one of mom, <laughs> the teacher and the mathematician, because my middle sister who passed be- became a teacher also. But she was the more free spirit. She was the one that was curious about everything. She drove an 18-wheeler truck. She wanted to know how to do it. She landscaped. She wallpapered. So what mom created for us was an environment in which we could grow into strong women. And I think that's that's a blessing. Oh, truly a blessing. And that you embraced it and you have carried it into your own lives and excelled in this way to the point then was it must have been wonderful then to collaborate together to to write this book, this newest book, uh one step further. Yes. Well, actually, she told her own story because all we had to do was to repeat uh, what some of the pictures showed, um, tell her story from the point of view. I was the youngest, and I used to joke and say, well, she saved her name for me. My (laughs) older sister was named after 
mom's mother and my middle sister, Connie, who died in 2010 and missed all of this exciting part, which she would have loved, was named after her best friend in college. So there's a connectedness through her whole life of people, family, school, and church. That's where we got our formation and spent our formative years because we had little or no choice. And then they taught us not to be angry about it, just to be better, so that when the doors did open, you were prepared to go through. And she was more than ready. And, you know, I, I this I need to reflect on from the movie, uh, because I did not re- read the book, and I need to do that, of Hidden Figures. But to see the portrayal of her by the actress, again, there was just this kind, humble woman who just was confident, absolutely confident, but not arrogant, I guess, about it. And Absolutely. Right? And so she was true, truly ready. She knew she was ready. Yes. It was almost, there was a certain um, air of confidence that I think was instilled in her because you see, in her day, um, Everyone she saw that was doing well looked like her. Everyone we saw that taught us in school looked like us. We lived with our dentists and our doctors. And I think that village that we often speak of is where we got our um, vision of what could be. We could become a dentist. We could become now a mathematician. So you have to see it almost, and if and, and you can think back in the in those days, what what were the magazines that were out? Good Housekeeping, you know, things that had no people that looked like us, and yet we had Ebony, we had Jet, so those were in our home. We were taught at church and school our history, and so we grew up being very positive about our lives, although we didn't have all the choices everybody had that was different, who were different from us, we had choices of of worthwhile, aspiring futures that we could look forward to. And And she just created that by the way she carried herself. You know, I don't mean to make her out to be a saint by any means because she enjoyed a good story. She loved to play cards. She she sang in the church choir. She was a musician. She directed a choir in school and church. So she was well-rounded. She was a lover of tennis. She played sports. But she, though knew her limits, she did not set the boundaries for how far you could go. Uh-huh. That, she just protected yeah. us mm-hmm. as best she could. And then when we met and she married Jim, as he put it, he married four women. (laughs) He took very good care of us because he was such a nice, nice second dad. And And he was with her until he passed, yes. And, you know, just thinking, picturing that as you talked about your grandfather 
mm. yes, your your grandfather, how mm-hmm. he just believed that uh, there were no boundaries, that, you know, girls needed to be educated as much as boys did. So she already had that vision of a very supportive uh, male, a good role model yeah. in her life. So her, the, her husbands were chosen. Uh, they They reflected that, didn't they? They were very encouraging. She just was, um, it's hard to explain without making her seem like she was a superwoman, but she was an ordinary, extraordinary woman. She loved her friends. She was very loyal. Uh, You know, she didn't want to be singled out. Mm. Her work usually would single her out, but the people at her church for 60 years said, I had no idea your mother did all of that. <laughs> well, she said, that was my job. I was just doing my job. I think it's how you carry yourself and how she carried herself that created this this road that seemed to lead her to the greatness that she achieved in her 90s. She did the work. She paved the way. And then she was able to take some of those steps herself to to uh, benefit from some of the wonderful things that had happened to her going to the White House with President Obama. Yes. She said that was the best. <laughs> that was the best. And she was awarded with a very prestigious medal. And the gold medal, yes, the congressional gold medal that should come out sometime this year. That is going to be thrilling. Uh, but I, I like the fact that President Obama honored her before the movie even came out. And her first honorary doctorate was in 1998, where others were recognizing her worth. Because if she told it, she wouldn't have been out there. She said, well, I had a, t- I had a team. I, I worked with others. I didn't do it. When they wanted the math. She was at the right place at the right time. Maybe and, somebody else could have done it, but who did it? Right. And and she was obviously, though, well-known because didn't John Glenn, the astronaut, ask for her by name? Well, I think it was a little... Yeah, ask for her uh, for the girl. Yes, a little but, derogatory yeah. there, right? Yeah. Well, we, she wouldn't have taken it that way. What, yeah. The setup was <clears throat> the astronauts were on the... Um, facility, the engineers had their building, and the twain, you know, they talked to the engineers. They didn't talk to the the workers, but when they needed answers to the math problems, they knew where to go. And he had had, he evidently had, had learned that these women did the work because the IBM was just starting its work, and he didn't trust it as much. He knew that the numbers worked done by hand, and so he wanted that backup. He said, well, if she says these numbers are good from the computer, then I'll depend on them, because he was nervous. They had changed, and when she worked out based on where he was supposed to land, and then he said, then I'll go, because she worked it several places beyond the decimal point that the computer had done it. And that's when he decided, I'll, I'll, trust, I'll trust the numbers then if she said that they match. And uh, 
we were told that that's literally how it went. It just, it's so amazing. I, it's beyond my comprehension because I'm not a mathematician. So to me, what she was doing was genius to figure out all these equations that have to do with space travel. Oh my gosh, it's, it's just incredible. And the way you put it, see, is a, a mystery about the math. And to her, if it's introduced to young people the correct way, just as fun, uh, play cards, play dominoes, uh, play pickup sticks in school early, you know, do the fun things, then when you get to, okay, see if you can put these numbers together. We were counting. We had to add up license plates when we were traveling, things like that, so that numbers and thinking and, and, uh, you know, having fun with it would make you not fearful of it because you get in a class and you with the boys, what usually happens to the girls? Oh, they withdraw. The teachers would call on the boys. And she said it's sometimes the teacher and it's sometimes the parent that puts the fear in the children, wherein if you approach it as it's a subject, it can be fun, look what you can do with it, the tie-in between the education and the actual life skills and what you can do with this information is what I think makes the difference. And that's where this new book is really, I think, just such a treasure. One step further, my story of math, the moon, and a lifelong mission takes away then some of that kind of mystique and makes it... Mystique. Right? Yeah. And, and appeals to those young minds when they're still ready to be open to the, this kind of adventure. So this is, right. yeah, the timing is so great. It's the, building, it's the building the skills early, but that look at what you can do with it. Right. But uh, it's just, it's a fascinating life that she lived. And to get, we, see, we get the opportunity to, to relive it for her, and I think that adds to my enjoyment, but just the fact that she, although she passed this year, this gives us an opportunity to extend her legacy into the next group of young people, which is what she was all about. She just enjoyed teaching them. She said, learn something every day. Yes. Like learning. She used to say to squinch her face up and say, I loved learning. And we'd look at her, of course. We knew how she meant it, and we were old enough to appreciate it. But say that to a kid, you have to show them. Mm-hmm. And I think this book and books like it will show her yes. one step further. Yeah. And you know, anybody. Anybody. That's right, regardless of our age, because if Absolutely. we have that mindset, which obviously she did too, to be, uh, you know, lifelong learning. And, and she what, said, you're never right. too old to learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's just maybe another real special treasure here. You know, during this time where there is, uh, you know, some kids are in classes in schools, some are at home. I could really envision this. Parents having this book with their kids, reading it together and going through the exploration, using it kind of as a as a roadmap, like, okay. 
Absolutely. Right. Isn't that a wonderful way to go forward? And they can get it in any good bookstore. I mean, it's not a, it's not a big book. It's not a scary book. And it's, it's, it's a real-life book, but it is also a story. Yes. A story of somebody that may look like you and may not, but had the same kind of life that you had. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be born into to money to become a physicist or, you know, the, at the top of your game. You just have to have the curiosity the will to want to do it, and the perseverance to do it. Yes. And she showed that anybody can have that if they're just guided and, and, and reach for it. She asked a lot of questions. Ask questions. You know, we said she was fearless. <laughs> and how she learned all of that, she said, from her dad. And because back in the day, yeah, you know, you know, look at what black men go through today. You know what they went through back in the 20s. I mean, they didn't even want them to work unless they told them what to do. Yes. But he was able to send four children to college. All of them graduated. Two of them went on to higher education and were teachers. Because in those days, Mama said, you either could be a teacher or a nurse or go in the service. And my oldest uncle went into the military, but he got sick in World War II with the gas and all, and he died in 1950, but they all were college-educated. And in the 30s, that was pretty good for a black family. Oh. And my grandfather was a, I think he finished the sixth grade. My grandmother Mm -hmm. was a teacher. So you don't, you know, you you don't know where your genius is going to come from. Treat everybody as if they can learn everything. Yes, yes. You you just have to want it. And some of it, some of it is the luck of being in the right place at the right time. But most of it is just putting one foot in front of the other and making a life out of what you're given with help from the village. And when you say sometimes it's luck, and sometimes it feels like maybe it it could be, but there's also th- making a choice then. Okay, do I take this yes, opportunity? Absolutely. Do I walk through Absolutely. that door? Right? As, as your mother did, you know, having doors open. Oh, here's a temporary position. Okay, I'll... She was curious yep. and, and adventurous in that way, so... There's a, a an invaluable lesson there about just be being willing to take that risk and and because you're curious. Yes. Right. The other thing Absolutely. that that comes to me about her, um, and that I think is is really important for all of us is balance. She you mm. can because of her the work that she did. One would think, oh, she was just heavily the scientist, but. She she wasn't. Like you said, you know, she was a mother there encouraging her daughters. She went to church. She sang in the choir. She had her friends that she was playing cards with, and they didn't even know about this other thing. There was just really important balance, I think. They made She made our clothes. She wow. was a wonderful seamstress for us, taught us to sew. Yes, 
she did all those things with a humbleness, but that leadership would always come through. She was a leader in her organization. She was president of the choir, all of those kinds of things. Right. So just so it was just a joy growing up as her daughter. It really was. <laughs> I, I can before I knew she did all of that, and I can sense that that you know it it was <laughs> was a great deal of fun, and uh, it, you know that she provided just that nurturing kind of fertile uh, environment for you to thrive, so that you went on to a career in teaching, and you embodied that that you wanted to pass that along to other generations. Yes, yes. And just so you know, when you said that uh, it's a lifelong thing is to live your life, she was playing Rummy Cube with us just before she passed, because I saw her the week before she died. And I mean, we could get her to play Rummy Cube, and, and she would sit there and think, I said, Mama, she said, well, why play if you're not going to play to win? <laughs> you know, she always liked to make it fun. Oh. She liked the challenge. And she liked you to learn something. Well, what a beautiful yeah. woman. Uh, it, it's so, we are so fortunate that she lived in our lifetime, that she did what she did, that she has these wonderful daughters who are continuing to tell the story and share the story. And fortunately, again, we have this new book that I think is the best thing parents can do with their kids is get a copy and and, and read through it together and follow some of this one step further. Correct, Catherine? We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's been just most wonderful. You are wonderful, and it's been a a privilege and a gift to have you with us to encourage us to keep moving forward. So blessings to you and many thanks. And you too. Thank you. This is your Sunday morning shout-out. Every year, about 57,600 Americans will be diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and about 47,000 will die. So while pancreatic cancer accounts for about 3% of all cancers in the U.S., it accounts for 8% of all cancer deaths, making it the third leading cause of cancer-related death in the U.S. And Black Americans have around a 20% higher incidence rate than any other racial or ethnic group. Even though pancreatic cancer clinical trials allow researchers to study innovative and potentially life-saving new treatments, they often have low participation by racial and ethnic minorities. The Pancreatic Cancer Collective aims to raise awareness about treatment options to increase diversity in pancreatic cancer clinical trials, to ensure patients of all racial and ethnic backgrounds benefit equally from the potential of cancer treatments. The Pancreatic Cancer Collective is an initiative of Stand Up to Cancer and the Lust Garden Foundation. Visit pancreaticcancercollective.org to learn more about the campaign and follow at SU2C on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, for the latest campaign and collaboration updates. Together, we can make a difference. 
Stand up in the fight against this terrible disease by helping people join potentially life-saving clinical trials. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Catherine Goble-Moore and Sunday Morning Magazine with Dr. Ronald Crutcher. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of love, of dreaming about living your best life. Then have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.